following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. This is episode 786 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined by your host, the lovely, the talented, and the scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. Well, I am very, very excited about our guest on the show today, Dr. Diana Green Foster, the author of The Turnaway Study, 10 Years, a Thousand Women, and the Consequences of Having or Being Denied an Abortion. This is not just a book, it's also a study. Diana Green Foster is a professor at the University of California, San Francisco. And this study is very important because it looked at basically how being denied an abortion can hurt women and the effects that it has on women. That wasn't the main research question, and uh, she gets into that during our discussion with her. And I hope that people, their big takeaway from this is that they should get this book and read it in full because there's so much information packed in here that we just couldn't get to. Yeah. And it's important for people to get this, read this, to be informed, especially with what's going on in this country right now related to abortion rights. We keep talking about it because it's important, but we also, it's on our minds all the time in our conversations in our in our regular off pod life mm-hmm. like we will just be walking down the street driving down the street and you will you'll be deep in thought and then you'll come out of it and you'll say you know it's people are just going about their lives like everything is normal when in june slash july a, a, abortion could could be gone Mm-hmm. The protections for abortions for Americans could be gone in June or July based on this 6-3 Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And we're already seeing it. We've been talking about it. The quote-unquote Texas-style uh, assault on abortion rights that is now being followed up by by Idaho, we talked about last episode, and and Oklahoma is trying their, 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 their chance at it. It is, we are living... We are closer and closer to being in that that uh, dystopian kind of thing that we that people talk about, but then like poo poo. Oh no, it's not that bad. It is that bad right now in America. Well, especially when you hear this: between a quarter and a third of women in the United States will have an abortion during their lives. Yeah, this is the number of people that are going to be affected. We're talking about mil- tens. Tens of tens and tens of millions of people. Yeah. So one thing about this interview that we want to discuss is, and this is included in uh, Dr. Foster's book. So she mentions a note about terminology and she uses the word women to describe participants in the study. And that is because the consent form specified that the target population, this is in her book, was pregnant women. And to her knowledge, no trans individuals participated. Yeah. So she writes that she does use the more accurate word people to describe those who get abortions outside of the study. However, when talking about the study, that's why she uses the word 
women. Yeah. So we wanted to specify that too, just so if during the interview you hear the different- Yeah, just head off any questions you may have or concerns you may have about the conversation. Exactly. So we very much enjoyed this and we hope that you don't just stop after you hear the interview. You go and buy the book and read the book because it is so informative. I learned so much from reading it. Absolutely. And in addition, if you have questions, we'd love to field them. Uh, as always, we have a voicemail number where you can leave uh, a brief voicemail, 657-464-7609, or you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Without further ado, let's get to this interview with Dr. Diana Green Foster. All right. Welcome to the show, Dr. Diana Green Foster. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I stumbled upon your book in a bookstore here in D.C., and I consider myself in the know on issues related to reproductive justice, but I had not heard of the Turnaway Study, which is your study and the name of your book, 10 Years, a 1,000 Women, and the Consequences of Having or Being Denied an Abortion. And I'm so happy you could be here because we are in the month of March, approaching June or July, when we're going to be getting a decision on Roe v. Wade possibly being overturned and abortion rights are under threat. And so I'm really happy that you're here. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your motivation behind initiating the Turnaway Study and the primary research question that you were looking to answer. Sure. So when we started the study in about 2007, the Supreme Court had just done um, a major abortion decision where it outlawed one procedure on the basis of the majority decision, which was that some women, that though there were no reliable data at that time, the, uh, they thought it was unexceptionable to conclude that people would regret their decision and be depressed. So they were going to ban abortion, one type of abortion, to protect women from their decision. Mm. So that's super interesting. The one thing that's definitively true about it is that there were no reliable data. And what we needed to know was not just does abortion hurt women, but if someone wants an abortion and can't get one, does that hurt them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and under the guise of protecting women from their decisions. From themselves. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so the study tried to look at the mental health outcomes of both receiving and being denied abortions and also a host of other aspects of life that are affected when you can't, can or can't get an abortion. For example, physical health, socioeconomic well-being, the ability to take care of your existing kids, your life aspirations. It was ambitious. It it's a uh, it, it's fascinating, super interesting study, uh, valuable to say the least. But l- let me ask a little bit about the the study design. Like, who are these women? H- how did you find them? How did you go about setting setting set, setting the parameters up? Yeah, it was not easy. And the reason why there were no reliable data is that it's not easy to do this study. Mm-hmm. We had to go to thirty abortion facilities across the country where if someone presented for an abortion there and was too far along, there was no place else within 150 miles they could get an abortion later. So we went to all of these sites. We recruited people who had just passed the limit and and were turned away, just under the limit and received it, hoping that those two groups were very similar. And then because most of these sites had limits in the second trimester, 
but 90% of people who have abortions in this country do so in the first trimester. Well, we also then had another research question, which is, are these women who seek abortion later different in ways that we couldn't generalize their outcomes? And so we also collected a first trimester sample. Mm. So we recruited over three years and then followed everyone for five years to try and gather data about their health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And that's really the important thing about this study, right, is that you are comparing two groups of women. You're comparing women who had a wanted abortion and then women who were denied a wanted abortion and looking at those different outcomes between those two groups, which doesn't seem like that has been done before. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's exactly what we were aiming to do. There have been a couple other studies. There are studies that just follow people who have abortions without the comparison group. There was a famous study in the 1960, early 60s in what was then Czechoslovakia, which just followed the kids. So there are, it's not, there's a study in New Zealand and England of chart reviews, I think, but nothing like this where we talk to people over time and certainly not in the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, one standout for me was a reference that you made early on to a Republican Ohio state representative who, when he was asked the question about why he believes women want to get abortions, he seemed completely incapable of answering the question. I think he even said it's a question he's never even thought about in in response. So um, what did you find in your research about the reasons that women get abortions? Yeah, and and you're narrowing in on kind of the most important findings. Well, we asked people right at the onset, what are some of the reasons that you haven't wanted to have an abortion? And we didn't give them a list of acceptable reasons to choose from. We just said, what are the reasons? And they told us, and we wrote it down. And then we categorized the reasons, and they look just like national data from clinics of people getting abortions, which is that the most common reasons are financial um, of having other um, of it not being the right time in life to support a child of the relationship with the man involved in the pregnancy being bad on a need to take care of existing kids. I can go on for a little bit, but the important thing about those is that those results are those concerns are exactly the experiences of the people who are denied. Mm. So when people are making this decision, should I carry this pregnancy that I don't feel ready for to term all of their considerations are there. They understand what the consequences of pregnancy are, and they're trying to make a responsible decision. And those exact outcomes, financial differences, taking care of existing kids, um, also health related reasons. All of those are are large findings from our study. You know, I, I grew up in a pretty radical uh, evangelical household in northern Idaho with radical, practically separatist-type parents and their Trump supporters. My mom was a delegate for Trump in in 2016 in Cleveland. And I I grew up hearing all the time, constantly, about the negative consequences for women who who do get abortions, their mental mental health, their their physical health. Uh, That's just a refrain because this is the way people feel about it. Mm -hmm. But we can't Mm -hmm. rely on feelings about these things. What what do the the data show uh, on that question? Yeah, I think that's a, you know, the the Supreme Court justice who said he thought it was reasonable to assume that women would feel depression 
This is because we don't talk about this issue. We only talk about it politically. We don't talk to people who've had the experience. And so it's very easy to assume, well, if you have moral qualms about this, so must the people who are making this decision. Therefore, they must suffer when they make this decision. And it's just, you know, if we had, if this was a more normal, less politicized topic where we heard from people, why are you making this decision? What are the circumstances? What's going on in your life? And then what are the consequences when you can or can't? We would realize that it's just normal people who who become pregnant when they don't want to be. It's not everybody, but it can happen to anybody. And when they um, are able to get an abortion, they largely move on. They, When we ask them later about how they feel, 95% of them say it was the right decision for them. And when we ask them how much emotion they're feeling about it, over time they say, we only think about this when you call us for these damn interviews. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or darn interviews. We are known for salty language, yes, Diana, we are. so do not uh, hesitate. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find that it could be, I, you probably didn't ask or able to determine th- this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because that's what I do. Uh, could it be reliably understood that it could be possible that it's because of the thing you mentioned earlier about the political stigma, the social stigma, that, that we don't talk about these things, that that could actually be the cause of the depression or the anxiety or any any secondary yeah. issues that would come. So there is some evidence of that, that when we ask people about how much they feel that they'd be looked down upon by people close to them or people in their community for having sought an abortion, the people who like endorse the idea that there's a lot of stigma actually have slightly worse mental health outcomes over the longer term. Mm. But it's not a huge effect. If you want to predict someone's mental health later, it's all about childhood trauma and abuse. Mm. So this abortion and even an unintended pregnancy, which can be a pretty unpleasant experience to, you know, find that your partner or your family doesn't support you the way that you wish or that your life is just not you know, in shape at at that moment, whatever people can have a bad emotional response to being pregnant when they don't want to be. But over the long term, that's not mental health um, pathology inducing. It's really about the really rough time people have uh, in their childhoods and in abusive relationships. Right. Well, I think people also anti-abortion activists in particular talk about abortion is, is this difficult decision that people really labor over and struggle with after they have made the decision. In your mm-hmm. study, did you find that people would characterize this as a difficult decision? Um, I think about half of the people say it was a difficult decision, um, and the other half say it um, was easy or somewhat easy. And I don't think we should say just because they say it's somewhat easy means that they didn't think about it. It means that they thought about their circumstances and it was obvious to them what the right decision was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and how much is there, you know, a bias that if, if you know that abortion is stigmatized, that you can't say it was an easy decision because then it would seem callous. You know, I don't know. Um, it's, there's some, it's maybe difficult to say that it's easy, but Nevertheless, some people do say it was easy to decide. Mm-hmm. So let, let me ask you this. When, when you're in the process of compiling these data or, or in the aftermath, when you're, when you're settling the score and you're looking through everything, 
Were there any results that stood out to you as surprising? Things that you you didn't expect, but you're like, oh shit, yeah. I I didn't expect this. Look at this. Yeah. Um, there's a couple. One is I really expected that in some ways that people who had babies would be better off. I expected that you'd have higher life satisfaction, more social support if you have a baby. You know, rarely do people get abortion showers, but they get baby showers. Sure. And I thought there would be, you know, conforming to social acceptability would come with some kind of benefit. And we didn't see it. Uh, and I think the reason is that the people who got their abortions went on to do other things that also have social uh, support and social desirability, like, you know, staying in school or getting a better job or more stable housing. And also a lot of them went on to have babies under better circumstances, even within the five years of the study. So it's not like they missed out on the experience of having a baby, but they got it at a time with a partner, with a job, with housing, whatever the circumstances were that made them want to carry that pregnancy to term. Hmm. So that's one, sorry, that's one set of surprising things. And the other is um, a, a really tragic one, which is that when people are denied abortions, they carry the pregnancy to term and have a baby. That's not surprising, but um, in our country, we just grossly underestimate the physical risk and burden of having a baby. We are just callous about the full body effects of pregnancy sure. and childbirth. And two women in this study died following childbirth. That's an astronomical death rate and not what anyone would have expected but what it shows you is that childbirth is associated with serious complications and we all should have a little more respect for that and uh, acknowledgement that carrying a pregnancy to term is a really big deal. Another element of the risk of pregnancy that a lot of people don't know, our audience not being among those who don't know because we talk about it all the time, oh, is, wow. is is the the risk to, to, to black women in America. The healthcare yeah. system is just uh, systemically failing them and watching them die in far greater numbers uh, through routine procedures and routine conditions like 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 yeah. pregnancy. So um, it's yeah, tragic. I'm, I'm really glad you're covering that. And it, it, I don't, outside of your audience, I don't think that's super well understood. I, mean, I don't think scientists totally have captured why it's happening, although racism is clearly a part of it. But it, it is a tragedy that I don't think is fully acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Did you find in your study that uh, people who were anti-abortion got abortions? Yeah. Um, you're one of very few people who've ever asked that. And at some point I had on the tip of my uh, fingers what the percentage was. And it's lower than the general U.S. Um, you know, it's a small minority of people who say um, that abortion is morally wrong. Mm -hmm. um, under all circumstances. And it's even smaller in our study. Um, but there are some people and, and I think their thinking is that uh, abortion is wrong. I've been told it's wrong, but I know that my circumstances are legitimate. And so the exception to this idea that abortion is wrong is, is for me. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of mental gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it, yeah, I think it's it's not bad reasoning if you've been if you're not ready to put aside that that your whole idea that as you were raised that abortion is wrong, then you've um, just got to. I'm 
at least they're making an exception for their own right. you know, decision-making that they believe is valid. Self-preservation, sure. Yeah. You know, I f- it's really hard. We've made this issue so political. And so the fact that people, you know, have to confront this circumstance and are unprepared, I, I have a lot of sympathy. Yeah, well, and whatever it takes, I think, to change people's minds, oftentimes that really is the thing that kind of gets people there, right, is actually experiencing a situation firsthand and that creates more understanding within them about why people have to do the things that they do. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we are advocates on this show of changing one's mind when the facts change or when your understanding of those facts change. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, a, again, former evangelical, former Republican, uh, worked for the Senate. I was a political appointee by Republicans this decades ago. But nonetheless, I've changed my mind about many, many things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, I, I, and, and that's hard to it, it is not to to laugh or ridicule to poke fun like Brittany said it, we, we we welcome the, the the mind change it's it's mm-hmm. kind of akin to someone who is completely anti-gay and bigoted in that way and then they they end up with a gay kid and then oh shit it's time to reevaluate this and then they become advocates and and more understanding about it so yeah like Brittany said however you get there mm-hmm for the most part is is good there are advocates who are who you know who are trying to normalize this by um i think of we testify as an organization that's doing abortion storytelling so that you realize there are people you know who have abortions that's the other thing about your book that we really enjoyed and that i think the audience really would enjoy to, to go pick this book up is the fact that it's not just a heavy textbook study uh regurgitation there are personal stories of women that mm-hmm. were in the study who who talk about their situation. It's it's really just remarkably compelling. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, and for anyone who might think that you are just an activist, and I know you wrote about that, that you had received some criticism of people thinking that your your data wasn't valid because uh, how could it be if, if you're coming to these conclusions? But right. um, for anyone who thinks that, you did have a kind of myth-busting section where you talk about an idea that pro-choice people often express, which is this idea that when abortion rights are under threat, the idea that if abortion is illegal, people will still have them they will just be unsafe and i'm wondering what you would say to people who would make that argument yeah i mean that argument comes from a pre-roe era and that's not our era anymore um first of all when you make abortion illegal lots of people particularly disadvantaged people won't be able to get them there's not like this magic ability we have um what was that some terrible uh politician claimed that you couldn't get pregnant rape because women would just shut that whole thing down yeah missouri but we don't shut that whole thing down some people will not magically get an abortion elsewhere they will carry a pregnancy to term Mm -hmm. and um so that's one problem with the statement and the other is that um when people nowadays get an abortion outside the medical system it can be perfectly safe so there are people who order pills online Um, And those pills, when they're the right pills and they have um, good directions about um, when to use them and when to get care, those abortions are just as safe because it's the same exact medication as you would get if you got the pills in a clinic. Mm -hmm. So I think like aid access is sending people pills and there are a few other organizations that are doing it, too. 
Yeah. And we're definitely going to need that as June or July approaches with uh, Roe v. Wade. And I know you have mentioned that Roe v. Wade might as well be overturned right now, given the number of restrictions that are on abortion around the country, including uh, gestational time constraints, waiting periods where people have to come in several times before having their abortion, requirements mm-hmm. to have review and ultrasound and, and counseling. I believe it was, Jesse, you just mentioned Missouri. I think in Missouri, they are now trying to stop residents from obtaining abortions out of state as well. Yeah, so- some nutter... Uh- State legislator mm-hmm. is, I mean, it, I, listen, I, let me, let me break from the format here for a second. And, oh, here and we goddamn, go. <laughs> we, I, I, I used to hesitate to bring up the handmaid's tale because people are like, oh, that'll never do. That's, that's not the way it's going to be. Listen, we are on the precipice of that when, when they are, when they are actual lawmakers with the power to write and, and get legislation through trying to forbid someone from going out of jurisdiction to have a medical procedure done. We are there. And in June or July, Brittany talked about this. We talk about this all the time that it is strange to us that people are just going about their day. Like nothing is, is any different than any other day when abortion in a vast percentage of of America will likely be uh, illegal, outright illegal after the summer. States are already trying to do it. And this is why your book is, now I'm bringing it back around, it is so important because it brings data and research and facts. And um, so they can't just talk about how they feel about it. That there's, we have evidence here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So getting to those restrictions. Sorry, I'll, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oftentimes, Diana, in your book, you're talking about these restrictions and how they are put in place under the guise of caring for or protecting women. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how these abortion restrictions actually just have the effect of making abortion more difficult to access in most states. Yeah, so there are a lot of restrictions, hundreds, uh, actually um, over uh, almost 1,200 uh, a state level abortion restrictions since Roe v. Wade and uh, a third of them passed just in the last uh, few years. Wow. Um, and I think 2021 was like a banner year for restrictions. Mm-hmm. And these, some of them I think are completely ineffective at doing anything, but um, some of them close down clinics, make people travel farther, pay more, vi- make multiple trips, those ones that increase the cost mean that poor people won't be able to do it. Uh, wealthy people will circumvent and poor people will um, not be able to get their wanted abortions. And yeah. And, and it is like this kind of idea that they're protect. I've, I don't know if they really believe this, but at some level, the stated goal is sometimes to make abortion safer or to, give people more time to think about it. Right. And both of those actually increase the risk. So abortion is very safe. If you make people wait to have them, it becomes slightly riskier because it's, it's least problematic, least likely to have complications early in pregnancy. So making people wait is a problem and carrying a pregnancy to term is if you're only care about people's physical health, that's associated with much greater physical health risk than having an abortion, even a later abortion. 
Well, that that leads me to to an interesting point that I wanted to ask you about is the 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 quote unquote late term abortion um, argument that this is this is often brought up by anti anti abortion activists to 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 whip people yeah. into a frenzy to gin gin up support for their for their cause. Who are the the the, the people who are getting later abortions, and yeah. uh, how how common are they actually? Yeah, they're not common. Um- they're very highly represented in my study because I intentionally got people seeking abortions later in pregnancy because I wanted people who, uh, for the sake of science, I wanted people who were being denied and people who were just under the limit. So this study gives us a really good window into why it is that people who uh, would, would quote unquote, wait till later in pregnancy to get an abortion and note first that, I didn't include people who were seeking abortion for fetal uh, diagnoses or for imminent maternal health reasons. So these are um, not those abortions. These are ones that um, that people were late, not because they were waiting for a diagnosis or for some health event. And what we find are that um, there are... Um, Re- the re- people who get abortions later in pregnancy look a lot like people who get abortions early in pregnancy. They don't differ demographically particularly, except that they tend to be younger because younger women are a less slightly slower to recognize that they're pregnant because they've never been pregnant before. And then they have all sorts of logistical barriers to getting to a clinic. If you don't drive or you don't have a car or, uh, you don't have money. It can it can be yeah. a slow process. Of course. So that's uh, what that. So the biggest thing, though, that distinguishes um, people who get abortions earlier and later is not recognizing that they're pregnant. And there was this whole show like um, of people who you know who didn't realize they're pregnant yeah. until they gave birth. That is um, very rare, but there is a whole range of physiological responses to pregnancy. Some people start barfing the like moment of conception. Okay. A little bit after that, hopefully <laughs> not during conception. And some people, um, you know, just feel fantastic all through the second trimester. And, and some people spot during their uh, early pregnancy. And those people could easily think that they're having periods. Sure. So we would never say, Oh, you weren't sick during your first trimester. You must be irresponsible. But if you're not sick during your first trimester, you could not realize that you're pregnant. Right. And in fact, we see that people who are using contraception to prevent pregnancy are slower to recognize they're pregnant, which makes sense. They thought they were protected and they're not. And so they they take a little longer to realize. Right. Right. It's kind of a surprise. Which, listen, given our current situation, contraception, contraceptives aren't off the table for what could be banned going forward. Let's just be honest about where we stand in American history right now. Well, and so Diana, for your, for your research here, you find no evidence that abortion hurts women. You, you have found that women who received an abortion were either uh, the same or even better off in some cases than women who were denied an abortion. And I'm wondering what, what has the reception been to those findings? Uh, So it has been super useful in state courts when they're considering uh, uh, bans and restrictions. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying that they change the mind when the goal is purely political and not actually in protecting women. Mm -hmm. But it's actually had probably a bigger effect internationally 
where I think it's less political and more, I don't know, legitimate concern about women's well-being that is that is motivating these restrictions. So um, colleagues of mine, um, the psychologist on the study is Chilean. She went and testified in Chile and they liberalized their abortion law, not entirely from her testimony, but it was a part of it. And um, yeah, it's been really important for the science that we can move beyond this abortion hurts women and look at the broader context of why people get abortions and what the consequences are when they can't get them. So so you are seeing some shift in people's attitudes based on the research um, from being anti-abortion or even skeptical to to coming around? That's way more generous than I would say. I would say <laughs> that people who are uh, interested in the science, who care about the data, who are worried about people's well-being and who are not solely pushing one political agenda, they can be moved into thinking, oh, abortion is an important public health issue. It's an important um, reproductive autonomy issue, and it has broad implications for women and children's well-being. Um, and th- those people can be moved I don't think anyone who thinks abortion is murder is going to be moved by this study. But hopefully, if they believe that, they also know that passing restrictions is going to cause widespread harm and that they, you know, to morally justify what they're doing, they better better, uh, provide a lot better um, medical care and social support to help people. Right. What are some of the policy implications, given what you have found in your research? Um, one of them is that uh, when people say they want an abortion, they say it's because they can't afford a child. And they are right that our country is in, provides completely insufficient support for low-income um, uh, people who are pregnant and having kids. That um, our safety net is so holy that people, it just does not hold people up at all. Right. And we need, you know, I mean, there are even states that I think still... Um, you know, have time limits on how long you can have uh, support after a birth, Mm -hmm. which if you care about children's well-being, that maybe that time limit is 18 years, you know, like do we care about kids' well-being or not? Yeah. If we wanted our abortion policies to be evidence-based, we would remove nearly all restrictions. We would make abortion pills more available so that people aren't delayed. We would, um, remove the Hyde Amendment, which says that uh, federal government can't pay for abortion, which affects people in the military. It affects people who are on Medicaid or Medi-Cal, sorry, Medicaid or Medicare. Um, uh, There's a whole other group of people that are, there are a lot of people who who are affected by Hyde, including low-income people. So we would get rid of all of that and let people make the decision based on their family obligations and aspirations. Yeah. I think even Democrats express support for the Hyde Amendment. That may be inaccurate, but I, I think I... Yeah, because we ask people, like, what's your opinion on this thing that's super stigmatized? And then you want to say, well, I don't like super stigmatized things. But <laughs> we don't say, hey, if you were a person who needed this, should you be limited by your government from getting it? Yes. That's not how the question is asked. Right, right. Well, also, like, would you like to judge other people right now? Sure. <laughs> right, right. I'd love to. Well, the, the other thing is that people get, we get trapped in 
well, that's the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. And Henry Hyde, who was a congressman from Illinois, uh, hasn't been around, I think, like in real life. I think he's dead. He's been dead for a long time. Mm-hmm. We just get used to having had this be the case, and it just continues. It's Yeah. yeah I think there's a more serious push by advocates to have it lifted. And at the time he passed, he got this amendment in there. You know, he said he wished he could ban abortions for everybody, but the only people he could reach were poor people. Yeah. So that's charming. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's time to move beyond that, I think. Yeah. So what are the next steps for you and your research, Diana? Oh, man, this is a terrible time because <laughs> uh, sometime in the end of June, they're probably going to announce if, if at, at, you know, minimum that 15 weight bans are okay. And then it's going to be poor people, young people, people who are using contraception, people without pregnancy symptoms are all of a sudden um, going to be traveling huge distances if they can. Mm-hmm. But the more likely outcome is they're just going to say, okay, states, you can ban abortion yeah. entirely. And then, as um, you said, you know, many people will live in states where they, they no longer have access to this. I mean, lots of people live in states where access is difficult now, but I think it will be even worse. So what am I doing? I'm gearing up to try and study this, although it's not easy. Um, And here, I think, unlike the Turnaway study, it's not so much a question of what are the harms of abortion or the harms of carrying a pregnancy to term. It's who can navigate around legal restrictions and who Uh, you know, manages to get their hands on medication abortion pills and has a safe abortion and who does something that's not safe and who carries the pregnancy to term. And again, you, you, you referenced it, that it seems to me that the, the bulk, the brunt of the, of the, the weight of, of the trauma here, not that everybody is immune from it, but it really lands on people who are disadvantaged it, uh, people of color, poor people, because if you're rich in this country, you can you can drive out of Texas and go to New Mexico or go yeah. to some other state like we're seeing. But if you're poor, you can't. And and yeah. money's a a definite uh, item to be to put into the calculus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we do ask, and it's kind of a theme. We we've we've we touched on it a couple times. Yeah. Um. We like to ask guests, what's the last thing that they changed their mind about? Because we, we'd like to destigmatize changing one's mind, especially uh, among our audience. We, we promote it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you the question. What was the last thing that you changed your mind about? Okay, I'm glad you didn't word it the last thing I was wrong about. Um, <laughs> Uh, but major, major thought process that I was so wrong um, leading up to the 2016 election when Trump was running against other Republicans. I thought Trump is the least bad of these guys because he doesn't care about any of these issues. Mm. Like he has no commitment to anti-abortion. So he wouldn't be nearly as bad as these guys that are, you know, adamant and care about the issue. They yeah. The, they think it's babies that they're they're saving, and they would be um, worse. I was so wrong. Yeah, because if somebody believes that that abortion is wrong because they care about babies, 
at least we have a shared value we can talk about. Mm-hmm. We can talk about the well-being of children. We can talk about the well-being of mothers and the importance of motherhood. But when somebody is just cynically playing some political game and doesn't care about the harm, that turns out to be the biggest disaster. Yeah, it's a great it's a great answer. It's one I haven't heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a perspective that doesn't get talked about enough, especially related to fucking Trump. That uh, <laughs> because he he was looked upon as kind of a blank slate. Yeah, that he would. I don't think really anybody knew he would be as malleable as he is to the worst impulses of the party. Yeah, and yeah. Our, our our show is more political than it is than it is policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a it's a great. It's a great answer. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so Diana, thank you first and foremost for your work. Thanks for what you're oh, doing. Yes. It's very, very important. And secondarily, thanks for coming on on the show and having the worst mistake at this last year being <laughs> having come on the show. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> thank you so much, Jesse and Brittany. It's been a pleasure, and I'm really glad you're doing this podcast. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that was fascinating. Yes. Absolutely. I love talking to people who are thinking outside of the box, especially related to research and gathering data to be able to prove their point, lend information to the compendium of knowledge that we already have that we didn't have before. Yeah. Well, and I will say it's very impressive to be the lead researcher on a project like this, write this extensive book that she wrote on this and then come on a program like this and be asked questions that she's not prepped for. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And have all of these answers because I mean, there's a reason she wrote a book about this. There's so many different variables to discuss that are captured in the study. And though many of those things could not be, talked about fully just in this this short interview. So like we said, we highly recommend the turnaway study, 10 years, a thousand women, and the consequences of having or being denied an abortion by Dr. Diana Green Foster. And also, once again, we invite your feedback. We invite your questions. We invite you participating in moving the conversation forward. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. As always, we are primarily a listener-supported podcast. If you're interested in supporting us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash Podcast, and there you can pick your tier, see what the rewards are, and help support the show. We love you guys. We appreciate you. We look forward to hearing from you. We'll see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt.